Welcome to the Black on Black Education Podcast, where we interview the most brilliant minds and connected hearts to discuss our shared passion for the transformation, the revolution, reimagining, and recreation of education in the Black community. My name is Eva Loren Jean Charles, founder of Black on Black Education and New York City High School teacher. And I'm Jamal Thomas, her partner and dad, education enthusiast, and we're, and we're your, your host. host. Please don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, to enjoy the episode. Okay, we are live with Dr. Sean Woodley for the 45th episode of the Black on Black Education podcast. We are doing this one live um, and we are definitely looking forward to this conversation. So, Sean, tell the audience who you are. First of all, Jamal, Eva, thank you so, so much for sharing your platform with me. I I do not take it lightly when, when someone invites me in to share their space physically or digitally. I, I'm very, very happy to be a part of the conversation and, and know how valuable your time is. So thank you, first of all, to you too. Um, as you already mentioned, my name is Dr. Sean Woodley. I am, uh, I am a father. I'm a husband. I am an educator. I am an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker, all around hustler. If you want yes. to just you know, just just go ahead and and and, and summarize that real quick. Um, but everything that I I do pretty much, especially professionally, is all about three things: it's teach, hustle, inspire. And essentially, you know, like some people ask me, well, where did you come up with that? What what does it mean? And it's not arbitrary by any means. So the teach is about how we unlock intellectual treasure. How do we get our students, especially our students of color, how do we get them from where they are? to where they need to be. The, the hustle is about, it kind of has that, I don't know if y'all up on this, that 90s ditty, bad boy, take that, take that, can't stop, it won't stop. I'm older, I'm older than you, bro, I'm older than you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it's about how do we continue to grow in this work that we do as educators and then the Inspire is about spreading love and light. And a lot of times with what we do in this profession, it can be rather thankless. How do, how do we pour into one another? We are givers by nature and profession, often to a fault. So what is it that we can take time to do to pour back in the well so that we are not giving on it? Mm. Mm. Got it, got it, got it. Um, and, and tell us a little bit about how you, you know, got started on your, you know, Teach Hustle Inspire journey. Um, you know, what, 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 why should, you know, teachers, um, you know, listen to, to your opinion on said subject? Sure, sure. Um, to, to quote Biggie, I've been in the game for years, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and, an <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I started when I went to uh, HBCU called Hampton University. Ooh. And, um, oh. You know, when I when I graduated, I I I didn't go into teaching right away. You know, I I kind of wanted to explore some things. I I, I pledged a fraternity, and um, some of my big brothers and some of my line brothers, you know, they were in the school of business, and that looked appealing to me. So I said, "Wow, that looks fancy." They had their corporate cards and things. So even though I was studying education, I I I got kind of tempted. So I tried to jump out in the corporate world for a few minutes. It was it was terrible. I I I, I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. Um, and I quickly was called back to my calling of being in the classroom. So I taught in urban schools for ten years, um, grades kindergarten through eighth grade. And what ended up happening was I really began to find that what I was doing. I, I wanted to do more. I wanted to have a wider impact. And so I began to kind of peel back the layers of myself and see, all right, what is it that I can do? I'm, I'm having success here in my school. I, I, I did some leadership things. I knew I didn't want to be a principal or superintendent person. I said, well, what is it that I can do to have a greater impact? So I went back to school and kind of regrounded myself in some of the education research in some of what was going on. Don't, don't mind my daughter back there. <laughs> and, um, and so um, that is when I began my journey um, as a researcher and an education practitioner 
um, to really uncover what were some of the urgent needs in our communities. And that is when I began my journey in teacher, professional and staff development. You know, being growing up in the urban school, teaching in an urban school, that is what I knew. And I also knew the data that reflected the outcomes of what was happening in our schools with our babies. A lot of times what happens essentially is that, you know, we get kids that are that are pushed through the system, if you will, and we're slipping. A lot of them are slipping through the cracks. And so I, I needed to figure out, all right, if I'm having success in my classroom, there's obviously some things that I know that some people don't. How can I have a stronger impact? And I wanted to see what it is that I can do to impart wisdom on others because I can only do but so much in the classroom. How can I expand my reach and grow and help others help these babies? Mm. So that really started my journey. And I went on to uh, start a consulting firm and I speak at the district and school conferences, things of that nature. Um, I wrote a book about my experiences as a DJ and a teacher. And so, you know, combining all, that's why I got the record in the background. Like that's not there for no reason, you know? So I, I just, I, I wanted to see what it was that I can do to help other educators help our children. Mm-hmm. Real quick, what, rec what record is it? Oh, that that's a um, a Serato record. It's it's used. Uh, it's a control oh, record. Yeah, so, yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. so I, I got it. Yep, yep. Go ahead. Oh, cool. So, I mean, so much of what you said resonated with me as a first year teacher teaching in a transfer high school in the mm -hmm. South Bronx, and so um, those kids that slipped through the cracks, they're in my classroom right now. Yeah. And yep. and and it pains me to think about the fact that I'm seeing how smart they are. I'm seeing how powerful they are. I'm seeing how driven they are. And what would the impact have been if teachers, when they were in first and second and third grade, what would that have looked like for them? Yeah. Um, and so I think that it just kind of brings around to why we have this super school series. Like what would it look like for kids to be getting their needs met from kindergarten, from pre-kindergarten, from zero, yeah. Um, yeah. all the way till now, um, what would it, what would it look like to give them an education? And so, when you hear the term super school, what does that mean for you? And what does it look like in an education setting? That looks like a place where I belong. Not <laughs> sound cliche, but if it, it it feels, it looks, and it has a sense of invitation. Because if if you think about when you are home, home you're you're comfortable there. When you're at home, you're in a place where you are giving love, but moreover, you're receiving love. You feel comfortable taking risks. You know that you are supported. And what happens is, see, this is this, this is narrative that like a lot of children in urban or even culturally diverse communities, the suburbs and things of that nature. You know, they have these these, uh, what's the word that I want to use to be politically correct? They're coming from broken homes. Our, our babies, they get love. They, they, they're, they're cared for at home. When they get into school, though, th what's happening is, is that love that they're, that they're being fed and nurtured with at home is not being reinforced. And so what happens is now that in, in a lot of ways, whether it is with the curriculum, whether it is through actions or lack thereof, there we're feeding a message to a lot of our babies that you're, you're, you don't exactly fit in here. You're, you're not always welcome here because of what we teach and how we teach. And so starting as low as kindergarten, if you look at the research, that, that achievement gap, it starts as low before that, pre-kindergarten. And it widens because a lot of educators, especially culturally, if there's a cultural difference. Culture is, is, is the way we perceive and interact with the world around us. So if, if, I'm, if I have one set of cultural values and my students have another and they don't align, now we have an issue. But because I am the authoritative figure there, I'm right and you're wrong. Oh. So instead of making that adjustment to kind of realign, is we're always just swimming upstream. And that what happens is, is those those students that bring in that those natural abilities, those natural funds of knowledge, they're actually looked at 
as deficits. And then those deficits widen and widen third grade, fourth grade, essentially to the point where they get to you in high school. And they're just, if they even want to be there, they're just there like, like we were talking about before we began the, the broadcast, because I have to be, not because I want to be. So a super school, super school from the moment that matter of fact, before those kids even got there, the super school, the teacher would develop those relationships and it would feel like I'm going from home to home. I haven't even gotten to facilities and things of that nature. I'm talking about the people in the building, the relationships that are there with those, those connectional relationships that can supersede. You can be in the worst building in the world. But if you have strong relationships, you can get that child to do anything that they want to do, anything. So, you know, that it it would it would start with really understanding the students, understanding yourself so that we can create a strong foundation for those students to be successful. Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, it's so I mean, recently I've been just given significant thought to. Um, you know, like what this actually will look like, you know, like we, mm-hmm. we, it's, it's, we, we, we have these events, not just, uh, you know, so we can, um, you know, kind of, kind of pontificate on, uh, on, on these things, but we, we, we want to start to, you know, document in, in both a qualitative and quantitative nature, you know, what exactly mm-hmm. this is going to look like. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, from your perspective, um, start to build out, um, the day. Of of a, of, a, of a super school, uh, you know, what I mean? and and they start to build out the facilities of of a super school. Start start to help us understand um, what we need to do from a community perspective um, to actually push in the direction um, of starting to put these together and and, and building super schools. So you know, D- Daddy Warbucks comes down, he drops yeah. a whole bunch of money in your lap, and now you're in charge. So help us out. How do we do this? There's so many layers to that because when you're talking about the physical structure of the building, one of the things that I I wouldn't do is a lot of times schools have these very, they're they're buildings, but they're very cold in structure. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that, aesthetically, they're very cold. You you know what I'm talking about. I, I I would try and make and create something and build something that's more reflective of a place that, as I mentioned before, is a little, you know, everything doesn't need to be desks in, in straight rows. Why we, we need to be comfortable. If I'm going to learn, if you're going, if you want me to be in a place where I feel comfortable, I should physically be comfortable. It should be a place where, you know, there is maybe instead of just a, a cafeteria per se, what maybe, what, what can we do to make that a little more, community oriented as far as how we eat and how we break bread with one another doesn't do we have to serve square pizza you know it, what what kind of food can can i put in my body where the students and the teachers want to get a little something to eat you know all of those things like home anything that you have in your home why couldn't it be in that school um when we talk about the day-to-day activities, one of the first things that should happen each and every day is taking the time to build community. You know, as a class, when we establish, when, when we get into that room, whether it's the first day or the 101st day, we're taking time to get to understand ourselves, understand another. How is everything going? What are you working on? What do you believe? What worries you right now? How is it that I can help? How are you taking risks? What do you think you can do to mitigate those risks? Obviously these questions and community building activities vary depending on age, but we want to get our students in a place where they feel comfortable and it takes a little vulnerability from the educator and it's going to take that vulnerability to be demonstrated for the students to put themselves in a vulnerable position. Because a lot of times you're trying to to really, if if that was to start, let, let's just say that I had that ideal school and that in that ideal community, if you will, this ideal school in a community. If I have a student that has not had the best experiences with school prior to that, there's a wall we got to break down. And that's what happens with a lot of students. They, They don't really consistently have the best experiences with school. So in some way, shape or form, it is four foot wall or a 14 foot wall. We have to chisel at that. And, and notice I didn't say, I didn't say bulldoze it, chiseling, boom. 
just little little chiseling and one and the next thing you know that child will let you in they want to trust you they want you to be a part of their lives you got to give them a, show them a reason why they should mm, yes it, it's everything that you say literally then i go yep Absolutely. Like my kids, I had a student first day of school. She was like, I'm not coming to your class. Straight Mm. up. up. And I was like, all right, well, thank you for sharing your opinion. I hope that that eventually changes and I'm going to keep working on trying to change it. That's my girl now. And it's only a month. That is my girl. It's just thinking about like how many teachers would have taken that and been like, well, she ain't coming. She said she's not Mm -hmm. coming. I'm done. Or you're going to come to my class. You know, <laughs> it, it, that any number the other. Absolutely. It's, and, and it's, I, worth, it's worth you speaking a little bit about the chisel, though, Eva. You know, I me mean, talk a little bit about how you went from I'm not coming to your class to this is my girl. Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> it really was just like, OK, I'm going to like send a reminder to myself to text her, mm-hmm. send a reminder to myself to text her again. Oh, she's not in class in the first 10 minutes? Well, now I'm going to call you. Oh, you were sleeping, Sana? I'm sorry, but I really want to see you in class today. So I hope that I see you on Zoom in five minutes. I'm going to give you five minutes to get it together, but I'm really excited to see you. Every mm-hmm. time you come in, hey, Sana, like just I'm giving you exactly the opposite of what you're giving me. And mm-hmm. today she was like, oh, miss, you look so pretty. I said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And so we went from like, it, we could still be in the outs from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was just a, well, stop taking everything so personal. Mm-hmm. Because he said it straight up to me. Yeah. I don't like meeting new people. And this year I have all new teachers. Not mm-hmm. one of my teachers have I had the same teacher again. I don't like meeting new people. The And the school is very cohort based, very collectivist. So they're mm-hmm. having the same thing. They've gotten into a routine. Now I get to my third year, my senior year. We're in a global pandemic. I have to yeah. meet new people. I have to do Zoom. I have to figure out when to come to school and when not to come to school. I have all of these assignments due. Oh, and someone in our school got COVID. Mm-hmm. Are, we suppo- like, are we supposed to act as though they're supposed to be normal? Right, right. And so it's just thinking about like, yes, I could have let her say she doesn't want to come to my class hurt my feelings, but it was mm-hmm. a lot less about me. And as soon as I got to know her, it wasn't at all about me. Yeah, It was about the yep. fact that she didn't know me. And so the, the chiseling was really just saying, like, I don't know you. You don't know me, but let's mm-hmm. get to know each other. And now mm-hmm. I know that she wants to go to med school. And I know that she's excited. Yeah graduate and go to college and I'm like okay girl well where's the draft of the essay like let me look at it she's like somebody already read it I said no let me look at it I'm gonna look at it and it's it's just making sure that like again girl and she's my girl because I worked at it just like any other relationship in any other part of our lives and and hold her to that standard means so much you know wow I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no worries. Uh, I, you, you, what you said is the truth, and uh, and it, 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 all of it reminded me of, um, of the commercial that uh, that that you have on uh, on the website. I believe it's for the Educators Academy program, correct? That one particularly no, was for my book. book. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it, got it. So, you know what? While, while we're there, um, let's talk about, you know, move the crowd. Because it sounds sure, like sure. what Eva did, you know, was kind of move the student. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A bit. Um, you know, talk, talk to us about, uh, about the book, um, why you wrote it, um, and, uh, and, and what you learned most during the process of writing. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. The book is entitled um, MC Means Move the Class, How to Spark Engagement and Motivation in Urban and Culturally Diverse Schools. Mm. So essentially what the book is about is my journey um, and growth and learning as a teacher um, simultaneously being a DJ. So here's what what happened. Um, When I started teaching, uh, I, I wanted a little I've always had an interest in music. Everything that I've done has always had some form of music in it, from being on the drum line in college, playing drums at church, you name it. I, I, it was a part of everything that I did. And so back in high school, one of my friends was a DJ. Um, so at that time, you know, the technique turntables and the crates and all of those, like you, in that era to be a DJ, it costs money. Mm-hmm. Anytime a song came out, you had to buy the record. 
And a lot of times, if, if you wanted to be nice, you had to get two. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I just I, I didn't have it. it. It wasn't feasible. Fast forward. I graduate college. I said, you know what? This would be an awesome time to pick up on craft. And that's what I did. It was something that I really wanted to do. So I had a couple of friends who were really good DJs uh, from Hampton. And I was literally their shadow. I bought some used old techniques. One of them, as a matter of fact, one of them and the other one just had an irregular spin, but you couldn't tell me no different. You had the 1200s? Yep, 1200s. They were old, but then what happened was after a couple of gigs, I saved up some money. I think I got a tax return one year. I went ahead and balled out and got some some brand new 1200s, black ones, and I called them TN Tamara. Those were my girls. <laughs> and so I, I had... At that time, I just had this resilience to just learn the craft. It was something that I always wanted to do. So I'm teaching and I'm DJing. I'm teaching and I'm DJing over the course of 10 years. I'm growing in both professions. So I got to the point where I'm DJing clubs, parties, homecoming events, weddings, retirement, name it. I'm there. A lot of times, especially like Thursdays and Fridays, I'm literally going from the classroom to the club. Like I, I finished school at this time, get something to eat, maybe maybe go home if I can for a few minutes and then I'm right back out because my turntables are in the trunk. And so, you know, growing in both professions at the same time, I started to uncover a lot of similarities in each of the roles. So what do I mean by that? When I'm in that classroom, right, I'm in a one-to-many environment. I am that teacher and I'm that stu- the students are there. When I'm in that club, it's the same thing. I'm in that one-to-many environment. I am the source in both roles of motivation. I am the source of both roles of energy. Like when I am firing on all cylinders for a lesson, and, and, and tell, me, tell me if this rings true. When you have a good lesson going and you can just like, you're, you're energized and you can see the brain synapses firing over your students, you're feeding off of them, they're feeding off of you and vice versa. Same thing in the club. Mm-hmm. If I throw a record on them, boom, oh, the crowd reacts. Oh, and, and then I'm energized. So now I'm gonna hit you with another one. So, you know, all of these similarities in both professions. And I said, wow, this is, this is really kind of an interesting correlation. And it, it frames teaching in the sense of being a DJ and an MC. And I came up with that title because in, I want to say 1984, Eric B and Rakim, I know you know a little something about that. I grew up on Long Island and my father actually went to school with Rakim. And so they had that hit, um, Eric B is president. And in the second verse, when Rakim is spitting, he says, Eric B on the cut, meaning a metaphor, you know, for scratching and mixing, no mistakes allowed because to me, MC means move the crowd. You, you know, you, you know what time it is. And so I, you know, I, I wow. this part of the conversation. I feel a little left out, I'm sorry. <laughs> I promise you, you've heard this song before. You, you, every, that's a, you've heard, you've had to have heard that beat. But, you know, that that part stuck out to me. And I was like, wow, you know, in my role, Eric B and Rakim, they're they're this DJ MC duo. It's just be my by me by myself. But I am that DJ and that MC. To me, MC is not about moving the crowd. It's about moving the class. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it really uncovers four primary principles. I use a little bit of alliteration to talk about achievement of of getting our students R from where they need to be. Alliance is about relationship building. The awareness is about being more self-aware and social with our social emotional learning. And the um, artistry is about creativity. Creativity is something that we have the advantage and pleasure of using in education every single day, but not a lot of people take advantage of it. Like that's really the principles that are reviewed in the book, as, as I mentioned, framed in the idea of a DJ and MC. Love it. Absolutely, love absolutely love it. Um, oh man, <laughs> I, I, I'm just I'm always struck by the you know the creativity um, that people bring to to their various different work, um, yeah. particularly when it's a you know when it's a teacher because I I had some pretty good teachers too, um, but I, I none of which. Um, this, it was just very rare that I felt like somebody was moving the class. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, I hear um, you. And I and I don't know where they should have gone to to get um, the ideas around that. 
Mm -hmm. um, but I do know that you have an Educators Academy program um, I do. that uh, that I imagine is helping teachers to do that now. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about the uh, Educators Academy program? Sure. I, I constructed the Educators Academy based off of the models that I teach in my face-to-face -face staff development sessions. This has the chance though, because it's a virtual learning environment and it is self-paced to go deeper. So what this does is that the, the basic model of it has four primary components. Um, we have what, what I call the wellness revolution, which is about starting with the teacher and focusing on his or her well-being. Because similarly to what I mentioned before, we are givers by nature and profession often not taking the time to pour back into ourselves. Mm -hmm. So before we talk about, you know, um, how can we increase our instruction and how can we use these strategies, which you're trying to do that while burned out, it, it, it's almost counterproductive. Mm -hmm. So we start with working on the educator to fill their cup so that now they have something from which to give. And the Educators Academy goes into details with the instructional revolution on the other side to talk about the culturally responsive teaching, to talk about the strategies for relationship building and fostering that creativity that we talked about. The creativity a lot of times dies in us, at least in the classroom, because it takes a little bit of risk to be creative as a teacher. But what happens, what you might find is that when you take that risk, to be creative and it doesn't land the way you thought, now you, you're less inclined to do it. Let's say you do you do try it again and it doesn't land. Now, now, you, now you're just done. Now you're just going in there and you're just, you're gonna learn these vocabulary words and I'm going home. Like, like that's the extent of, of what it may be. When we realize that a lot of our creativity isn't built on the wrong foundation because it doesn't connect with the way our students make sense of the world, we have to go back to the drawing board. How can we make our instruction more culturally responsive and make it make sense first, then leverage their creativity on top of that from that different lens? Am I, am I making sense? You are. You are. There is a particular place I want you to go with what you said. Sure, sure. Um, you know, because we, we talked about that creativity and 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 what what. One of the things I often think about is it it kind of gets beaten out of us, um, you know, as as we grow. Um, I think mm -hmm. grades are one of the things that that do that because we don't teach to to mastery. We, we teach, you know, so that they can get an A on yeah. on, on this test. Um, it, it changes. People learn to say, oh, you know, if, if I'm wrong, which we need to be like we, mm -hmm. you, you can be excited about being wrong because now I can figure out how to be right. Um, but mm -hmm. kids ha have that um, yeah. as part of a super school. I think that that's something that needs to be there. Um, yeah. What are the ways or are there parts of the, you know, of the, of the program or, or just your thoughts in general on um, how teachers can can foster that that, you know, almost desire to be incorrect so that you can so that you can then turn around and, and find the right answers? Sure. It, it starts with accepting that mistakes and being wrong per se is really just a source of data. Mm. Too often that is connected to character as opposed to being a source of data and information. Yes, oh my gosh. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So when we really take that and remove that away from that child's identity, now we really start to understand, okay, Here's what you missed, but let me tell you why. I know that you're capable of this. Let me tell you another way to think about it. Boom, light bulb going off. Also, you know, we, we talk a lot of times about the achievement gap and, and what our students can't do. If you ask me, a lot of that is not an achievement gap. It is an instructional gap. Mm. Because what that says, the achievement gap, that puts the blame on those babies. Those babies didn't teach themselves that lesson. That's us. So we really need to be cognizant of being, and, and, and I'm bringing, I'm tying that back into the discussion of the, the mistakes and, and feedback. And I'm saying that with the air quote, the mistakes, what is it that I can do differently to communicate that information so that I minimize the occurrence of that child not understanding what it was that was taught? Yes. 
Yeah, I think like this idea that students don't care or that mm-hmm. they're lazy or that they, if we took a second to think about where we're getting our definitions of those things from and mm-hmm. the standards we're holding children to, like they're lazy if they don't want to sit in a classroom and have information poured into them and told exactly what they want to do and then answer the questions exactly the way we would like them to answer them. Yes. That's lazy. Yes. Interesting. Yep. And so to me, I consistently try um, in my classroom to even the smallest things of like, oh, that was like, oh my gosh, no, I'm sorry that I messed that up. And I'm like, I mixed up longitude and latitude like 17 times today. Like, <laughs> I said the wrong thing like mm-hmm. 17 times. So okay. if I'm not beating myself up about it and I'm up here supposed to be teaching you. Yeah, yeah. Why is it that you feel like you have to apologize to me for making a mistake that I made four times? Like just even those small things. So like, again, I'm a first year teacher. I have so much to learn, so much to grow. Like just, I know I'm not even close to there yet. Um, But it's even those small things of them, like realizing that it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to like mess up. It's okay that, you had a small lapse of judgment in this moment. Like Mm. students will argue up and down with me today. I had a student and I pull up in his task and I'm like, okay, so this was clearly copied and pasted from the internet. (laughs) And he was like, "What? what do you mean? What miss? What do you mean? I was like, okay, so if you give me a one-page document, double-spaced, typed out in paragraphs on why you decided to change both the font and the size of the text in this portion of the of the um, of the task, then I'll give you the credit for it. If you could explain to me why, like, because he was convinced that he did not copy and paste. That's not what happened. I'm crazy. So, okay, <laughs> the reason I thought you copied and pasted, my bad is that it was a different font and it was a different size than the text that was already in there. Mm -hmm. So if you just give me your rationalization in a page of why you decided to do that, then I know that you knew that the longitude of Washington DC was 42 degrees 0.779 degrees north. Then I'll believe that. I mm-hmm. oh, why we gotta do all that. So it was just like a moment where he and then he's apologizing. I'm like, listen, I was in college. I copy and paste is a lot easy. I, I get it. Mm-hmm. But then when you can't copy and paste in this scenario, what's gonna happen? And then it was just a moment of like, okay, we had five minutes to discuss like why you made that choice, how mm-hmm. you different choice next time how and how many times have they been told completely shut down or the teacher saw that they copied and pasted it and didn't say nothing and just gave them a zero yeah yeah mm-hmm. yep. and then me not telling him like oh you're lucky i didn't give you a zero i could have what, what who does that help who does that serve and so we just are consistently like in the space they're, they'll even say like oh i never thought about it like that or oh i never and I'm like, well, yeah, no one pushed you to do it. But now yeah. to put that there are moments where you're now gonna have to push yourself because you know better now you can do better. And so it's just like, why can't we give them those moments or that space to really rationalize and realize for themselves? Like this is what and then and even what you said, mistakes. Like I did this thing because I either wanted to take the easy way out or I or I just like I'm not interested. And mm-hmm. every time on a task, we ask them at the end, what did you learn? What did you grow from? What what, did, what do you want? What's your questions? I'll have kids who be like, this is stupid. What do I need to know this for? And I literally highlight that and I go, I'm not sure if you'll ever use it. But the fact that you completed the entire thing, well, that shows mm-hmm. that you have persistence. Mm-hmm. I can tell you right now that <clears throat> that that thought process and that man, that's not first year teaching. That that's 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 veteran. <laughs> that, those are veteran moves right there. The, it's the all the veterans, y'all. I'm the, listening. I keep telling you all the podcasts. Yes. Well, I'm listening. <laughs> the the wherewithal I I would have never imagined is your first year teaching. I I promise you. Yeah. Just even from that first day when that young lady told you <laughs> that that that's not that wasn't me. I will tell you that right now. 
Absolutely not. So kudos and, and shout outs to you, seriously. Like you are yeah. wise beyond your years, oh, absolutely. But how much how much does that stuff come up in teacher training? How much does that come mm -hmm. up when, when, they're, when they're sharing you? you, you, you you know, cause some of that's emotion, emotional intelligence, you know, the, yep. the, the, that's, that's not, you know, I guess there's still a science behind emotional intelligence somewhere, but it, it's, you know, how you interact. So yeah. Do, do we see that in teacher training? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. One of the biggest focal points of, of what I try to help teachers discover about themselves and to really examine is their culture and how their culture clashes with their students culture hmm. and how that creates discord in the classroom. And here's what I mean. You know, a lot of times when we talk about culture, you know, we're thinking of slang, we're thinking of foods, we're thinking of dress, hair, you, you, music that you listen to. All of those things, when we celebrate them, they're fine and good. It's phenomenal. Unfortunately, what happens is if that's where the celebration and, and the acknowledgement stops, that's where we run into issues. Because those are surface examples, those are external sources or, or that, that's an external display of culture, if you will. Culture goes below the surface when we talk about concepts of time, when you talk concepts of space, when you talk about making eye contact, when you talk about certain, not, not things, not what you say, but how you say. I'll give you a perfect example. I was teaching my class one time and uh, my students were doing some group work. And so I needed the young lady. I said, excuse me, Kelly, come here for a second. She, she didn't hear me. So I said a little bit louder, Kelly, come here. She goes, what? Now, for, for me, the way that I was raised in, in my parents' household, you didn't answer an adult, what? Period. And, oh. and, uh, and when I slipped, when I got up from making that mistake, I didn't do it again. So I, that is a part of my culture below the surface. I brought that into the classroom with me. So when that young lady answered me, what set me off? There's an emotional charge to those cultural violations. Now, here's the thing that I had to be more socially, emotionally aware of. Her intention was not to be disrespectful. Right. That's what was hard for me because in that moment, I am seeing red. But I had to I had to step out of myself and say, OK, was her intention to be disrespectful or was she really just trying to find out what? <laughs> and and so I that was a moment of clarity for me in kind of what I was researching and kind of what I was trying. I, it was a moment for me to practice what I was preaching, if you will. Mm -hmm. And and so I had to you know what I said, I'll give, give me a couple seconds. I had to calm down. I'm being honest. I said, let, let's let we'll, we'll talk a little bit later. Go on and finish your assignment. But I I, I got what I needed from her. But that was like a, a real life demonstration of culture because what could have happened was I could have, as the authority in that classroom, I could have easily written that young child up right. for for being disrespectful. Right. Disrespect. If you ask one person what disrespect is, and then ask another teacher what is disrespect, and then ask another teacher what disrespect is, you'll get three different answers. Right. Absolutely. Right. And then compound that with ask three different students what disrespect is. So now you're talking about, you know, all of these intersections of counters, respect and what does it. But one person in those situations maintains the authority and that is the teacher. Right. And when those ideals of respect and culture don't align, now we have issues. Mm -hmm. So so, you know, like like that's where the conversation a lot of times goes with the staff development is we have to examine what am I bringing into the classroom, which is not wrong, by the way. How you were raised is how you were raised. That is an important part of who you are and your identity and where you come from. Also have to understand, though, is that when that shows up into the classroom and when those students show their culture into the classroom, is it really disrespect? Is, is it really that they're being defiant? Is it really that they're being disruptive or is it really that what you are perceiving as disrespect is not what it's intended to be? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, whew, you're just speaking to my everyday life and it's just really, I feel so seen. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just want to, I, I want to get into for a minute mm -hmm. um, about 
kind of like, what are the strategies, right? How do we get to a place where we're able to scale all these things that we're talking about? How do we get there? And this is thinking so much more big picture, but I think we Mm -hmm. love to ask this question because we need, like teachers clearly need more support and students clearly need some more support Mm-hmm. across the board. I went right. to Bramley White High School in an upper middle class neighborhood and they need support. Yeah. Okay. So how do we scale these ideologies? How do we scale these belief systems so that all of those students and teachers that need more are actually getting it? It, it is a couple of different things to that. We have to start by understanding, number one, the way that a lot of times we're taught to be teachers doesn't align with the way that our students need to be taught. So when you go back to the coursework, when you go back to that guide, that student teaching guide that tells you how you are supposed to teach and and those check marks that you're supposed to meet, a lot of those things are based in antiquated old school systems of teaching from the industrial revolution. We're trying to essentially be combative against an army of teachers that have been taught one way to teach. And that is what they know. That's how they were taught. That's how they were taught to teach. So when we understand that, if if there was some way to get into that and, and really adjust that curriculum, that would be ideal, first and foremost. If that is not an issue in order or an option, rather, then it really starts with helping teachers to be more self-reflective. That that, that culture discussion that happened, the the root of that is helping teachers to really turn the mirror on themselves and be self-reflective and say, okay, I see this about myself. Like we're so used to pointing fingers, and if there's a conflict, we automatically go to what the other person did wrong and never really turn the the the, the lens on ourselves. So how is it that we can be more self-reflective to really at a global level and a global teacher level, break this thing down so that we can build it back up. But, but the problem is, is that we are gonna run into is that it takes time because again, going against literally decades oh. of teaching practices that just do not work, but they're consistently fed to us as to how to teach. So that is an uphill battle. It, it's, it's almost 90 degrees straight uphill. So really, you know, we have to understand that it's going to take time, but if we can help teachers to be more self-reflective on their cultures, on their social emotional learning, Jamal, as you mentioned, on different aspects of why certain things don't work the way that they do, how they can be more creative, how they can bring their true individual selves into the classroom. You know, those are some things that we can really put into practice over a long term to help turn this tide. Like it, it's it's really, if you're trying to turn a, a, a cruise ship, you know, it's not like turning a car. You, you can hit 90 degrees. It, it, this, it's, going, it's going to take a little while for this thing to go, but it can't yeah. go. Yeah. So one of the things that this, that brings me to is, a, is another question that I definitely wanted to make sure I, you know, I asked you because you're one of them. You know, you, you said you're an entrepreneur, uh, but mm-hmm. I love that term edupreneur. Um, and, yes. and I'm yes. seeing so many of them, particularly, you know, during this, this time of COVID. Um, and when I think about entrepreneurs, I think about innovation and mm-hmm. you know, the school system is, is clearly in need of significant um, innovations in order to to make the the, the, the shifts. And um, and the thing is, is, if we can do it in the school systems, like it's, mm. it's so many other areas of society that need the same thing. Like if we can find yeah. the process here. It can grow out to the to the to the to the many years. It can be like a force for, force multiplier. So, you yeah. know, as an entrepreneur, you know, yourself, what do you think the role is of, of, uh, of, of this, you know, kind of new group of people um, in, in, in changing the system? And, you know, you, you kind of said, like, long term, I'm of the mind that we don't necessarily have, you know, I don't think we yeah. it can still be this way 10 years from now, because yeah. we're, we're going to lose multiple generations of people, you know, in, in, in that period of time. So, um, you know, what responsibility and, and, and roles can entrepreneurs play in, in this space? Mm. That, 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 man, y'all have asked some good questions with a lot of layers to <laughs> <laughs> um, it. It really starts by understanding why you're in this. Mm. 
if, if you're an entrepreneur, are, are you in this because you wanted to get out of the classroom or are you in this because you wanted to make a difference in the lives of those students that are in the classroom? Are you in this because you really want to make some changes in education or are you in this to figure out what you're trying to do before your next career move? You know, there, there, there is a lot of different things that's at play here. But for, for those that are in it for the right reasons, and, and I, I pre-COVID do a lot of traveling and um, especially at conferences, I meet a lot of other speakers and trainers and educators and, and some really good people. I mean, with some strong and powerful messages, I, I'm in there just taking it all in and, and they're inspiring me. Like that that's that's the type of work that we need. And, and everybody like, it can kind of seem crap in a barrel-ish mm. where, um, you know, where you're trying to do your thing and I'm trying to do my thing. So we can't really collaborate, but everybody brings their own flavor, if you will, to this. And more importantly, there are going to be people that I reach that you can't. There are going to be people that you reach that I can't. As long as we are aligned with the end game is to, to get these students from where they are to where they need to be. We cannot go wrong, but that's the thing: is that why are we in this? Why are we in this? I know why I'm here. I know that my circle of of entrepreneurs. I know why we're in this. But for those that may not be there yet, why are you in this? Yeah, I love that. And and so crazily, we have made it to the end of our conversation. And. We ask a lot of big picture questions, but I think that those big picture questions continue to to ask the important, right? Like your answer is ask yourself why. Shoot, I ask myself why. Mm-hmm. Some days I'm like, I call him. I'm like, I'm, I quit. I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this. But then you realize, okay, but the but but I got I got I almost said her name. Can't do that. Um, <laughs> my home girl, like I can't leave her. I can't leave. Like I I I I got into this for a reason. You come back to that why. And so, just to close us out and round us out, we've been asking hard hitting questions all night. Please, what question do you have for either one of us or Black on Black Education as a whole? Sure, sure. Man, I, I don't I don't know if it's gonna be as, as layered or, or thought provoking <laughs> as the questions that you all ask, which are phenomenal by the way. But what what do you see in a perfect world? What impact do you see black on black education having on education two years from now, five years from now? What 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 is it in in a in an ideal situation? What do you want to see? Mm. Am I going? Um sure. Um, I, I think a little bit, I mean, I don't think more big picture than him. I don't know if anyone thinks more big, the immediate answer, um, is I want parents to have options. Mm. Uh, I think that right now it's a charter lottery or it's a public school that I'm district to. And like, that's pretty much it particularly for working families who can't say, well, I'm just going to homeschool my kid or Mm -hmm. there's just not that many options. Um, Mm -hmm. I want there to be options available to parents to take ownership over their children's education um, from an Afrocentric abolitionist mindset. I want parents to be able to say that I want my kids to learn these things and know that Christopher Columbus sailing the ocean blue isn't going to be the history that their kids leave school with. Right. And so it is just, it's creating. Mm, don't get me started on that. <laughs> curating and creating opportunities uh, where parents and teachers and educators have options uh, for their kids, and that and that that's the the large large goal uh, of wow. having a, an alternative education system that parents can say, "Yeah, I opt out of that, and I'm going over here, so that my kid's going to get their needs met." And then. Um... You know, my my my. For me, it it feels like a five thousand piece puzzle right now. That um, you know, that that we're we're trying to you know put the the framework you know yeah. together for. Yeah. Um, because I see black on black education centers in every city, um, in the United States, and then you know in Africa as well, and and across the diaspora, where they're networked schools where we are focused in on the technologies of tomorrow that are going to actually you know build the future um of of the world and. 
Um, I see an online platform that entrepreneurs come together for um, and have all of their various different content on and, and teachers and, and parents and, and students can come in and say, have a choose your own adventure style um, navigation that, that allows them to find um, find their own way, you know, yeah. and, and, and all signs point to um, our community being um, significantly developed because we find a way to love learning. So mm. learning becomes the, 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 the center of, of what we do and it's, and it's cool to do um, yeah. and it's in our, it's in our, it's in our culture. Um, it's in our music, it's in our art. Um, and, and, you know, I, I can just see a, a, a place and, and a world um, wow. where, we're, where we're having completely different conversations five to 10 years from now um, because of the work that we're, uh, that, that we're all collectively doing today. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, you know, I see black or black education not as something that, you know, is, is, it is founded by Eva and co-founded by me. Um, she, she likes to make sure I say that, um, but, you know, we, we, we see it as something that this is ours, you know, that this, yeah. this is not just, uh, uh, it, it, this is a community institution, um, that, that we all wind up taking seriously. Um, and, and I think a lot of lives can be changed as a result of it. It is the Wakanda of education. That, that's <laughs> immediately. I, I kid you not. That is the exact thought that I had. I promise you. I I, I wasn't gonna say it because I didn't. I didn't want to sound. But yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought of. They, that I should. I, I do, 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 you know all the sound effects. <laughs> I saw it in my head. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my so goodness. We definitely, definitely, definitely appreciate the time, Sean. Um, is there anything you want to leave everybody with? You want to share? You know how people can get in contact with you. Um, or and, and just any other, you know, kind of last minute thoughts that um, that, you know, every educator who's listening, parent who's listening and, and, and students as well uh, would like to know. I'll, I'll say 2020 has clearly been a year that we are not going to forget anytime soon. So, you know, take the time to be grateful for what you have. Take the time to be grateful for the relationships and the connections that you have. And, and if there's somebody that you haven't spoken to in a little while, or if there's a relationship that is really on the, that, that can use some repairing, take some time to pour into that a little bit. Get, ex express your gratitude, pour into others so that you can pour back into yourself. I'll, I'll just say that. that. That can be educator, parent, student, the like. Yeah. But I can be found on um, pretty much all social media platforms um, at Teach, Hustle, Inspire. Um, it, it's too long for her, so it's just my first and last name, Sean Woodley, and um, or my website, teachhustleinspire.com. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I can say. This is incredible. So grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Again, I, I really appreciate you all having me. I enjoyed the conversation. I'm yes. glad we were able to connect. I really, really am. Yes. We'll, we'll definitely, we'll definitely have to do it again sometime. Maybe, maybe you'll uh, be one, another guest at the, at the February Black Education Conference. Sounds good. All Let's right. do it. All right. Thank you. Yeah, have a good one. Peace.